church. Today's scripture is Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Thank you for having me this morning. Dave, you're very kind. It's a treat to get to be here with you all. Uh, I live in Gilbert, just a good chunk down from here, and I figured I'd show you my family. So I have a wife and two kids. Uh, there's us on Easter. My son Jay's three. My daughter Olivia is one, and they are uh, full of energy, you know. So I heard someone say the other day, they set their alarm for 7 a.m., and I said, I haven't needed to set an alarm for any time before 4 a.m. in about three years. So they're up early and going pretty strong, uh, but I'm grateful I get to be here. I do think that... Um, the, the, the treat of getting to come down and jump into the same, series, same sermon series with you all is, uh, is, is a real blessing to me. I, I love getting to teach the Bible. I love getting to teach this text to you all. And so that's what I'm hoping to do here. Uh, the, the most important part of this text we're looking at here is what just came before it, right? This part of one argument that Paul's making. In Romans chapter 7, there's this person, uh, people debate whether it's Paul himself or someone that Paul is like, giving voice to, who's trying really hard. He really wants to honor God's law, and he keeps not doing it. There's like this me versus me internal battle of someone with good intentions but inability to execute fighting against this person with bad intentions who wants to do the wrong thing. And he's really giving voice to all of us. But the most important thing we see in Romans chapter 7 is actually something we don't see in Romans chapter 7 is the fact that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned it's, that this, it's this man with good intentions in himself fighting against the bad intentions in himself. There's not this external person, external reality, external thing pushing and pulling him in any direction. And so when you get right to Romans chapter 8, there's this transition in tone. Romans 7 is defeatist. It's dry. It's discouraged. Wretched man that I am. There's self-hatred, self-condemnation. Romans 8 changes. And all of a sudden, there's this other person inserted in the discussion. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And, and if you grew up in church, or even if you've not been around church that long, you see the word spirit, and you think, what does that mean? What is a spirit, right? My wife is a cheerleader. You've got spirit. Yes, you do. I've got spirit. How about you? Is that what we're talking about? The vibe of a place? Like, this is a, a spirit-filled place. Are we saying there's good energy here? Uh, I think about spirit. I think about the thing you drink too much of, and next day I have a headache. You know, I was full of the spirit last night. You know, is it full of a spirit. Is that what it means? Is it this, or is, but the, actually, and it's interesting if you think about the, the roots of the word, like drinking spirits, is that you take something and you distill it, and this invisible thing goes up and then condenses and becomes uh, what it is. And that's really what the root of the word spirit gets at. It's the word wind. It's this unseen mover. If you see the trees blowing, you go, oh, the wind is doing that. And the word wind and spirit are very the same. That's why when Jesus breathes on his people, it says he sends a spirit. That that, that pun or that dual meaning is intended there. It's this unseen mover of people, that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not an energy, not a vibe, not uh, something you just drink and makes you a different person. It's actually a person who's interacting with you and moving us and shaping us. In Romans 8, it's all about what 
does the Spirit actually do and how does he function in our lives? And what we're getting at right now is the second half of the first part of the argument. Romans 8, chapter 1, one of the most important memory verses you'll ever memorize. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. That in real estate terms, we are not condemned buildings, unfit for occupancy, need to be torn down, that we are actually occupiable, inhabitable, that the Holy Spirit, as by the power of Jesus, purchased us, made us his own, and not rented us out, but personally occupies us, that he's in us and among us and living in us and with us. And so we're not condemned, but we're actually fit for service, occupiable, and the Spirit is in our lives, moving us and shaping us, and, and it's operating within us. But then what happens, you see each of these verses after 8.1 begin with this word for, chapter Chapter uh, 8, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit. Verse 3, for God is done. Verse 5, we're talking about today, for, verse 6, for, verse 7, for, all the way down to verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so what we're doing right now is Paul is building an argument that this is why you are not condemned, because, 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 all the way down. Because in chapter 8, or chapter 8, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, if that was true, then we would not be, then we would be condemned, that we would be condemned. If you were not able to please God, you'd be in this position of being condemned. That God can't dwell in us, that God can't be among us, that God can't rehab us, because if we live according to the flesh, we can't please God. But, 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 because, because, because of the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus, the Spirit isn't having us. There is no condemnation. There is nothing to fear. We're doing okay. And so the second half is really cruxing on this argument right here, which we get out of verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. That there really is, in Paul's worldview, only two ways to live. See, we think that there are thousands, thousands, and thousands of ways to live. There's all these hundreds of world religions. There's all these hundreds of worldviews. There's all these options available to us. But to Paul, there's really only two. The flesh or the Spirit. And that's part of what is confronting us here is we think that there's, uh, Christianity is one of the thousands of choices, and Paul's mindset and God's mindset is that there's Christianity and everything else. And if we really want to inhabit the Christian mindset, the Christian worldview, the Christian perspective, it's going to require uh, properly placed hostility. Now, if you think hostility feels like an unjesusy word, I'm going to tell you that properly placed hostility is a very Jesus-y word. So I was coming home from work on Thursday, and that's about 4 o'clock, something like that, and I see uh, two of those guys on segways with their like pest control company um, badge on going up and down my street, and I immediately was like, so like one of my wife's least favorite things in the world is stranger knocks on the door, because <laughs> she's a kind person, and I am a lot less kind than her. And so when someone knocks on the door, I can say, go away, no thank you. But she feels like, oh, okay, tell me more. There's like this like, kind of uh, 
and she feels like locked into these conversations. And so I just think, oh my gosh, there's, have they been to my house already? My, my wife's going to have these ankle biters at her while this guy who doesn't have kids is going to try to ex- explain to her something while the kids are crying. And she's going to have this kind of claustrophobic experience of like, oh yeah, you kill bugs. Cool. You're different than the other companies. Okay, cool. And so I w- and my first gut was like hostility, right? I'm going to get these people away from my house. And so I drive up and I said, have the, bu- have the bug control salesman been here yet? And she says, no, they haven't. I'm like, okay, sweet. I'll answer the door next. And then 90 seconds later, my three-year-old is like, dad, what's that? And right at the front door, scorpion goes crawling across. <laughs> and so I kill it, right? And all of a sudden, the guy knocks at the door, and I flip from hostile to hospitable really fast. <laughs> What are you selling? How fast does it work? How quick can you be here? How soon can you come? Cover my house in poison. I'm not concerned about cancer right now. All the, all the poison. How much poison do you have? Get it in my whole house. Can you? And so the introduction of a new variable changed where my hostility went, right? I went from like, don't bother me. I don't want you. Please leave me alone. I don't need what you're selling. Two, please come in. Do you want a glass of water? Uh, what's the most expensive version you have of what you're selling? I can't have my one-year-old who puts everything in her mouth anywhere within six feet of a scorpion. I'm like, this is, this is a bad idea. And that's very much what, like, Paul is saying we are like. Like, we see in the flesh God out there, the Holy Spirit out there, and our gut setting is hostility. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. We love to think of ourselves as, in and of ourselves, neutral to God, or open, or seeking, or curious. And Paul is saying, no. Because the default human perspective is, I am the Lord of my life, someone else comes in your life and says, I would like to be the Lord of your life. And in our gut, in our flesh, in our soul, we think, no. It says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God's law. It's hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And this is because of how we understand the idea of law, right? Like, think about laws. How do you feel about laws? And now this really depends on your situation, right? So I'm driving down here, and there's a stretch of road between Coolidge, uh, because we're coming from um, Gilbert, Santan Valley, Coolidge to Tucson, and there's this weird stretch of road where all of a sudden the speed limit's 35 miles an hour. I'm like, laws are dumb. Who made laws? Who voted for this law? And it feels like some politician disconnected from reality, appeasing some constituents who wouldn't get out of their head, finally said, fine, I'll make it 35 here so your tractor can drive in the middle of the road. You know, and just going like, laws are this man-made, arbitrary, bureaucratic, democratic process, you know, meh, on laws, Right? Um, But if we understand law from like the actual Hebrew biblical perspective, law, the word Torah in Hebrew could be translated instruction or teaching. Now it is instruction or teaching coming from God, so it has the force of law, but it's way more relational, personal. When we see the word law, we should think fatherly instruction. When we see the word law, we should think uh, benevolent caregiver. Who's, you know, so when I, like, uh, we got moved to this new house about a year ago, and there's really only one place 
that I get like pretty aggressive with my children. And it's, we have gas in the house and just my 14 month old can reach up to the knob on their gas stove and just turn the gas on. And it is like, in all their places, it's like, you know, I'm, I've read all the parenting attachment books. I know connect before correct. I know all the like gentle parent. I know, I know this stuff. But she touches that gas knob and I'm like, no touch, you know. And she, you know, I'm just like, you will kill us all. You know, don't you understand? We will all. There's no other place in the house where she could kill us all. But when it comes to touching the knob, and so she, she'll kill us. And I'm like, stop, you kill us all. I don't need you to understand. I need you to comply. Stop. You know, and she's 14 months old. She can't understand. Anyway, and so there's like this, I am doing this for your good and for our good. Absolutely not. One day, hopefully, I understand. But for now, we're not messing around. And so, like, all the other, like, rules she could break are, like, you know, we're in process here. Development. You know, you know, gentle correction. But the gas stove, it's you'll kill us all. We're not messing around with this. And so, when God gives us instruction, there's sometimes we need to receive it, like, 14 months old. And so, but we understand that, like, we lack understanding. We don't understand God's heart. We misunderstand what the law is doing. And so, we're hostile to it. We resist it. We just feel constrained. We just feel buckled in. We just feel like, why did it go from 65 to 35? Why am I being oppressed? Why is God interested in us not having a good time? And I, it, that, I think if we're really honest, most of the time we, even as Christians, break God's law, there's like this joy-maximizing equation we do in our hearts that we go, mm, do I want to... Uh, feel good or do I want to feel good about myself? And if we want to feel good about ourselves, then we'll submit to God's law. If we want to feel good, then we won't. And we'll do that calculus. And actually, that mindset is the fleshly mindset. I have on this uh, the screen here where we talk about the flesh and how there's really two ways that the flesh operates. The first thing we need to understand here is when we're talking about a mindset of the flesh, that the mindset of the flesh is rooted in insecurity. I need to earn something, I need to prove something, I need to win something, I need to demonstrate something, I need to find something out there. That because all other worldviews are based on performance, are based on execution, are based on do you know enough, are you good enough, are you making enough, are you proving enough, it's rooted in this prove yourself mentality. Uh, you call it a meritocracy we need to demonstrate our worth, our value, our capacity, our dignity. Everything is on us. And this is the, op- the mindset of the flesh. And that can be fulfilled in religious or non-religious ways. Either in non-religious ways through pleasure-seeking. So what happens is we go, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. I don't know what to do with my life. And so what happens is we end up looking to models or examples or celebrities of going, who looks like they have are living the pleasure-filled life like I like that? And, and depending on what season of life you're in, depending on what stage of life you're in, that's a different type of celebrity. You know, whether it's Kim Kardashian or Ben Shapiro or Bernie Sanders or Dave Ramsey or Devin Booker, like you're going, man, that person's doing and living the thing that I Man, if I was just like them or thought like them or spoke like them or acted like them or how they had, then I would have the pleasure that I would want and I could, I could enjoy life the way I want to do it. Or it, sometimes you try that, like the non-religious path, like the, the obviously worldly path. But then you go like, man, that like pleasure-seeking thing, it wears out. 
There are hangovers. There are letdowns. There's the emptiness that follows the pleasure. There is the ever-increasing cycle of need. I need to go. And, and so what happens is then you, then you convert from the pleasure-seekingness to the performance path. And you go, no, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to do cold plunges. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to make sure I, I'm going to track my protein intake. I'm going to limit my alcohol consumption. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb that corporate ladder. I'm going to get the degrees. And rather than being like those people who just follow their gut, I'm going to follow my head and do all the right stuff. And, and I'm going to exist through my resume and through my, and my connections. And, my, and so I go from feeling good to wanting to feel good about myself. And, you're, and then you go, you know what? That just leads to depression, and you're just you know, stuck in this cycle of doing the, the corporate script, and it's economic, and I'm going to start you know, clocking out at four and going to happy hour and doing that and, and buying expensive toys, and this is not a midlife crisis. This is called enjoying the wealth I've accumulated, you know, and, and we, we go back and forth between, but these are both, see, this one over here looks more religious because it's less obviously pleasure-seeking. And this one over here looks more liberating because it's less obviously constrained, but they're both living according to the flesh. Do I want to feel good? Do I want to feel good about myself? Both of them, if God is involved, it feels like encroachment. What do you mean not enjoy my life? What do you mean not generate money? What do you mean? Like, and it feels like I'm just getting stuck in here. He goes, don't you realize that when you live according to the flesh, you are hostile to God's law? You trade celebrities to set and establish norms. You, you read the, the John Maxwell career books over here, and you, you listen to the, you know, how to, how to, like, game your alcohol consumption so you can still function the next day, stuff over here. And there's, like, these fleshly ways of living. And if that's the case, the Holy Spirit can't inhabit that. Because even if you do become a Christian or say you're Christian, or go to church on Sundays with these things, God is just one of the tools. Sometimes we add Holy Spirit into the pursuit of pleasure, and we go, he gives me a good emotional bump on Sundays. Sometimes we add the Holy Spirit over here, and he, he gives my work meaning and value, so I have, feel less guilt about running after that like it's my God. And we live in these fleshly men, and he is, you are hostile to God's law. Instead, what happens, we see in verse 6, but there's this other mindset this other way of existing. And in many ways, it does boil down to a set of mind or a mindset. How are you going to set the mind, on the flesh or on the spirit? The question is not here, do I want to feel good or want to feel good about myself? The question is, who is running my life? Do I want to run my life or I want the Holy Spirit to run my life? Do I want to remain God and use God as an instrument or do I want to give up my divine status and actually submit to God's law. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. That's death in the dual sense. In, in the garden, when God says, if you eat of this tree, you will die, that's death in like the, it's the diminished life sense and in the eternal death sense. If you're stuck on the flesh, wait, along, wait, wait around long enough. You will discover that it is death. It is emptiness. It is decay. It is absence. It is separation from God. It is isolation and at the same time, it leads to eternal death, eternal separation, eternal emptiness, eternal absence. See, the hell we experience on earth is a faithful preview of the hell you experience if you don't repent and believe. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile 
to God. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Wouldn't that be nice? Peace. That's the life and peace. That's security. That's not having to prove yourself. That's being loved unconditionally. That's not do it right or else. That's do it right no matter what. That's do it right or wrong. I still love you. Trying to convince someone that you love them unconditionally is actually pretty difficult. Because every person in this room at some point in our early childhood learned that love was conditional no matter what. And I think that the core task of Christian discipleship is unlearning the conditionality of love that the Father has for us. Because I had pretty good parents, and they still withdrew if I did the wrong stuff. There was still that frown, still that... And they never explicitly said, do this and you'll be unloved, but there's that like un, that subtext, that, that pre-verbal, non-verbal, we know, like... And I, no matter how good I am as a dad, I know I'm going to, because I'm, a, I'm an unfaithful lover of my kids, I'm going to recommit that wound to them. I'm sure I already have. And here comes Christ saying, I love you unconditionally. And we try to unlearn that our whole lives. To actually receive that, to actually embrace that. See, instead what happens when you have the spirit is instead of insecurity with celebrity, with pleasure performance, what ends up happening is you have actual security because of the certain and final substitutionary death of Jesus. And then I lead, have heart change. That operating from a place of security is foreign to every worldview except for Christianity. Every other religious system, every other secular worldview, every other prescription given to live a full and meaningful life is somehow like all you gotta do is. And here we have Christianity, Jesus saying, I've already done everything you gotta do. And the angst we have in an ongoing way as Christians is rooted in not being able to just accept that. It's rooted in trying to contribute, trying to tip the one who paid it all. <laughs> you know, like I watched a lot of Phoenix Suns basketball and, um, you know, was a you know, Booker the other night scored 48 points like three nights ago or 45 points, something like that. And one of the memes I saw that was like, you know, Devin Booker and Landry Shamet combined for 45 points. <laughs> you know, Shamet had zero points. Booker had 45 points, right? It would have been even funnier if he had like one point and it's like they combined for 46 points, right? And I mean, that's what it's like as Christians, you know, like me and God combined for my salvation. <laughs> he did most of it, but I did a good amount. I was, I contributed. I helped, you know, I was a part of this, you know, and, you know, and, and it's actually dishonoring and it minimizes the final work when we, when we try to contribute, when we try to help out, try to make sense. Right, it's like when I would go out to dinner with my grandma, who was like closet wealthy. I didn't know that. You know, I thought like I didn't know how she, you know, she lived. Like she had like drove like a 1991 Kia Optima, and I thought like when she passed, we we're gonna like sell her car for twelve dollars and split it four ways. I, <laughs> but then it turns out she like had money, but never lived like it. You know, but she'd take us out to dinner, and we always thought like 
hey, Grandma, you know, like, we don't, you don't need to pay for dinner. And she's like, if you try to help me pay, it was like you're asking her to go jump off a bridge. Like, <laughs> try to help pay for dinner. You know, one time my dad p- did pay for dinner. He, like, told the server, that gave the service credit card. And it was like you, yeah, you told her to go jump off a bridge. You know, it's like, who do you think you are? What do you think this is? Paying for dinner? you got to be kidding me. That that is what it's like trying to contribute your salvation to Jesus. I died for this, and you're trying to, like, serve on a Sunday to make, like, I literally died for your entire salvation, and you're going to try to, you know, be nice to people to help contribute? Stop. Like, Serve if you want to as the Spirit leads, but don't try to act like you're contributing to this thing. And so when you live according to the Spirit, that's that's what the, the Spirit does, is He connects us and applies to us the work of Jesus on our behalf, and He connects us to the heart of the Father. He's a connector. That's what He does. You, like he, he helps us trust. He helps us. Like uh, Augustine had this metaphor for the Trinity, that there is the lover, the beloved, and the love in between them. That the lover is the father, the beloved is the son, and the love in between them, the connector even between the, in the persons of the Trinity and with us. Like I think, like I was uh, walking with my son yesterday. We went for a hike, and he's three, and he falls a lot, right? And... He's like, I don't want to hold your hand, you know, because he saw some five-year-old not holding her dad's hand. I don't want to hold you know. But then he takes one fall, and he reaches up, and, and so we're holding hands going down the mountain. And I was thinking about, like, how the Spirit, like, the, the Holy Spirit is the person who causes our hand to hold the Father's hand. That's, like, what, that's his main function. He helps us hold the hand. And this, this whole idea of like the mind that is sent in the flesh to death, but the mind sent in the spirit is life and peace. This mindset shift is difficult. And this is where it plays out in moments, right? So my, like I said, my son, I went hiking. We were not supposed to go hiking. Uh, we woke up Saturday morning. We were going to go to his three-year-old soccer game, which was at 9 o'clock. So we woke up, uh, made pancakes, got his soccer socks on, whipped his knee, Got his soccer jersey on. It's blue and gold. He's all excited. Did his hair. He said, don't call me Jay. Call me soccer player Jay. Okay, soccer player Jay, let's comb your hair. Let's get your shin guards on. Let's get your cleats on. We got this great pair of cleats from like four bucks at Goodwill. I'm, super, I'm more excited about the cleats than he is, you know. So we, we get him on, and we're, we're dressed up. I got my red coach. I'm assistant coach, but it just says coach, so I'm okay with that, you know, on there. Uh, we're driving a deal. I get a call. From someone, it's like 8.50 for our 9 o'clock game. It's like, hey, where were you guys today? I'm like, what? It's like, for the 8 o'clock soccer game. I'm like, why was it 8 o'clock? It was at 9 o'clock last week. Oh, the time changes every week. I'm like, what's this stupid league where the games change every like, time? <laughs> was this the NBA? you got to, like, schedule the TV slots? You know, why are we changing? And so I just go, like, absolute... I'm a victim of this anger mode, you know, I'm just, okay, bye, you know, hang up, and, you know, um, Jay's in the back seat, I mean, he's in his car seat in the back seat, and I'm, I'm uh, gripping the steering wheel, like, staring ahead, like, you know, and, and uh, you know, and all these verses about love your enemies, and I'm like, mm. And the, the comes from the mind is set on the flesh is hostile 
I'm like, I know that right now. I am hostile. I am hostile. You know, like, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm, you know, one of my biggest fears, you know, you can therapize me later if you want, is like being the fear of being controlled. You know, someone made my schedule for me. That's what I'm thinking. You know, I had a plan. Someone violated my dignity and violated my calendar. You know, that's what's going on here. You know, and so, so I, I literally am thinking, like, I'm about to go teach tomorrow on the mindset and the flesh, the mindset and the spirit. And I'm started praying and I'm going, I'm super mad, super, like how, I'm going to go like write an email to I9 Sports, how dare you people change the schedule, you're sending too many, I got like, I got nine emails for me this week, how am I supposed to read all of them, you got to be kidding me, you know, I'm just so frustrated, and I'm, and I'm going, so then I ask, I'm, instead of like being mad and trying to go, where did this, so then I ask the question, okay, God, what are you doing? Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life right now? And so I pray, Holy Spirit, I'm hostile, I'm feeling, like, help me. Uh, And I look up, and there's this mountain ahead, and I'm going, all right, Jay, we're going hiking. (laughs) And he goes, but I want to play soccer. And I go, okay, me too, but Dad made a mistake. Dad's bad at schedule sometimes. They canceled the 9 o'clock game and moved to 8 o'clock. I mean, Dad should have read his email better, you know, like, I don't know. And so then we went hiking instead, right? And, and I literally feel like the moment of me going, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life right now? I'm going, I have a moment here where my son is going to be formed on how do we respond to a change of plans against our will. I have a moment here where my son's going to learn how does dad respond when he makes a mistake? I have a moment here where my son's going to learn, what do we do when, our, when we don't get our way? And so I asked the Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? And I feel like literally I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, we'll go hiking instead. And we're going to go have a father-son time doing something else, right? And so there's like, you could probably hear in that story, like my natural fleshly inclination to like throw a tantrum and be mad about something, right? And And... Literally meditating on this text this yesterday served me and going, there are two mindsets. There's the mindset where I'm hostile to God's law where it feels like, what do you mean love your neighbor? And what do you mean be kind? And what do you mean love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? That feels like an intrusion to my current like justice complex that I have about three-year-old soccer. Rather, I, I want instead, and that's a small, small thing, but I'm telling you like, in the moment of going, I have two mindsets to choose to live in right now. I'm going to choose to live in this one where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control is actually good news, not constraining news. And so this text served me yesterday morning. The mind that's in the flesh is hostile, uh, but it does not. And so uh, the question is like, how do we adopt a proper hostile mindset? Because I think one of our problems as a church is we are hostile to the wrong things. We're not hostile enough to our sin. Right? If I saw a scorpion in my house, and I was like, oh, it's not bothering me. And I told you all, I just left the scorpion there. I was like, hey, kids, let's keep away from this, because we just don't want to, you know. You'd be like, go back and kill that scorpion. And that, like, we have sin in our house. We have sin in our hearts. We have sin in our churches. And we just kind of let it be over there. And we're hospitable. And we let it be a welcome presence. And we want it over there in case we need it later. And we don't really want to be aggressive with it. We don't really want to be hostile to it. 
And instead, we kind of maintain this like semi-hostility to the Lord. And we only have a choice. Be hospitable to God and hostile to sin or be hostile to sin and hospitable to God. And if we want to welcome the Spirit into our life, to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, to be led by Him, it requires properly placed hostility. So how do we adopt a hostile mindset to sin and a hospitable mindset to God rather than what the flesh does, which is hospitable to sin and hostile to God? And here's, here's, the, here's the main deal. It's about setting your mind on submission. Choice. It's the moment of choice. This is really what the Spirit does. He comes into our life and he gives us the ability to choose to submit to him. Because without the Spirit, we cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, is what it says here. Without the Holy Spirit's help, we cannot submit to the Holy Spirit. And he comes in and says, I want to help you submit to me. I want to help you submit to God. And we have this momentary choice of going, who am I going to submit to, the way of the Spirit or the way of the flesh? And like I said, the Spirit connects us to God's heart. And here's, here's where I think the rubber meets the road for me is when I was a very young Christian, when I was a, a, an even less mature Christian than I am now, when I was in a church but not yet a Christian, I viewed submission to God's law like getting choked out and then tapping out. Oh, he's got me, fine. You know, don't, I don't know if there's any MMA people in here. You know, it's like, let go or I'll break your arm. You know, that's like the, you know, you get into some hold and you're losing a wrestling match. It just feels like losing tapping out, submit. And instead, the word submission is the word hupotasso. It means to come up under, to place yourself under. Like when it's raining, you submit to the umbrella. You come up under it. It protects you from the, from the thing above. Like that's, you can't submit to an umbrella that's on the ground, right? Because you can't get under it. You have to, like it's, and so God is like this, this tent of protection, this this space I can go up under and inhabit, and it's for my protection, for my good. So submission's not like getting tapped out and wrestling. It's like it's pouring and it's hailing, and ah, now I'm inside. <laughs> that the bombardment of the world, of, of the flesh, of evil, of hostility is all around me, and instead of choosing to fight it off like this, the hail is coming down and I'm trying to karate chop the ice one piece at a time, which is what life is like. I'm instead coming up under a structure that's there to help me and support me and protect me. And this is why I think submission is about why before what. This is my last point, my, my big idea here. Submission is about why before what. Like with my 14-month-old, she reaches up to the gas and I'm content with what? No touch. <laughs> Do not blow our house up. <laughs> but even that, she doesn't understand blow our house up. She understands when I go like this, dad smacks my hand. So I'll not go like that anymore. But then I have this, a three-year-old who's beginning to have complex layered thoughts. And he said to me the other day, dad, why do you smack Olivia's hand when she reaches her hand up? Well, Jay, gas comes out of here. If it's not lit, gas will fill the house and we'll all blow up and die. <laughs> and Jay goes, I should not touch that either. <laughs> you are right. You should not touch that either. 
He goes, okay. And so then he, he's submitting to vision. He's submitting to my protective fatherly heart. He's submitting to my interpretation of the world and what will happen beyond his even comprehension. He doesn't understand invisible gas. Like that's, he, like, but he's in the capacity that he has as a three-year-old. He's now submitting to the heart, the why. And I think that as we grow in maturity as Christians, as we grow in prayerful connection to the Holy Spirit, as we grow in trust and intimacy with the Father, we'll be able to submit to the why, not just the what. When you find in yourself a place in God's law that you have difficulty submitting to the what, the proper thing to do is to investigate the why. Why has God made this off limits? Why has God put up these boundaries? Why is the law, fatherly instruction, fatherly, why, why has he put in me or put in the law these boundaries or constraints? Because if it's fatherly instruction, then I want to understand the why, not just the what. If it's bureaucratic code meant to entrap or, or, or limit, then it's just what. I mean, imagine if I went to my wife and I said, Taylor, I will not commit adultery because I don't want to be, I don't want you to be mad at me. Oh, what a romantic. <laughs> you should work for Hallmark, you know? Can you put that in a cart, you know? Uh, like, hey, hey, God, I'm following your law because I don't want you to be mad at me. Like, what a thin, non-relational reason. Rather than, like, I'm not going to commit adultery because... I, don't, I, I, I cherish what we have, and it's so meaningful to me that risking it in any direction is not worth it. And like I, anything that like cultivates our intimacy, I'm for it. Anything that violates or or uh, or has a potential to violate, I'm against it. Like I, you know, there's like this. Like, so we're not just submitting to God's law so that He's not mad or because He said so, but because His heart is for connection with us. And this is what blows my mind about Jesus perfectly obeying the law and perfectly obeying the Father. It's not that he just perfectly submitted to the what of God's law, but that he perfectly trusted the Father. That's difficult. That he perfectly understood the Father's heart and submitted himself to his direction for his life. Perfectly obeying the law feels like impressive. Perfectly trusting the Father is like you can't fabricate that. It has to be real. Like trust is learned connection over time. That believe, and so when I think about how Jesus perfectly obeys the law and then dies in our place, that He the whole time said, "Not my will, but Your will be done." Father, um, that reveals to me not just like compliance with the what, but actual alignment with the why and trust with the Father's heart on our behalf. And so I hope that we as a church, as we sit in this and we set our minds on submission and we notice these moments where we have the opportunity to be hostile or submissive to God's law, that we will, in the depths of our heart, be able to trust the Father because the Spirit connects our heart to his heart. And so just like when my son reaches up because he's slipping on the rocks 
And then, but later on, he starts to feel like, I'm good, I don't need to hold your hand anymore. That we'd be the people who never start feeling good so we don't know the need to hold the Father's hand anymore. And we see other people not holding the Father's hand, we don't feel like, I'm three, I shouldn't need to do this. That the Spirit causes us to hold the Father's hand and not let go. That's his main function. That's his main role. That's his main heart he wants for us. Hold my hand. Don't let go. That is submission. Not just in what, but in why. So let me pray for us. And I want us all to feel more peace about having a hostile mindset. <laughs> Jesus, I pray that you will help us be hostile in the right direction and hospitable in the right direction, that we'd welcome you and be hostile to sin. And that that hostility to sin wouldn't cause us just to double down and try harder, but our hostility to sin would cause us to hold to your hand all that more tightly. God, thank you for sending your spirit. That you've not just called the plays and led us to run them on our own, but you're with us in the trenches, with us in the fire, and I ask that you will lead our hearts to a place where we can follow you very intimately. In your name we pray, amen.